0: Okay, so we are continuing today with our series on Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Bit of a mouthful. Um, If you are getting anything from this teaching, I want to tell you I have learned all of this from a man called Peter Scatzero. If you're not getting anything from this, that's probably down to the way I'm bringing it. But uh, we have learned this from someone who has gone before us and helped us in all of these ways. And this morning, the title of our talk is this, Know Yourself in Order to Know God. Could you go on to the next slide? Oh, it's you. Okay. Um, And really, in this day and age, it is extremely common for people To pretend to be someone else. You know we talked about investors pretend. We've had in the newspapers certain people who really are crooks but they have pretended to be noble and invest worthy and they have gone off with millions of pounds of other people's money. Or people have pretended to be more beautiful than they are because their photographs have been airbrushed and presented in a certain way. And even in church, um, we can pretend to be something that we might not really be on the inside. I can remember I was thinking about this. Um, Gerald and I, many, oh, probably a couple of decades ago, we went to... Uh, a Bible school, a Bible course, for a couple of weeks. And I remember wearing very smart clothes because I wanted to impress whoever was running that Bible school. It didn't work, but I did it nonetheless. We present a side of us that is more holy or more godly or more anything because we want others to think well of us. But Jesus is calling this community here to drop all of those pretences and to live authentically as the people he has created us to be. There's a challenge in Ephesians 4.22, which is at the heart of discipleship. And it says this, put off the false self in order to put on the true self which is made in the of Jesus Christ. But in order to put off the false self, we have to know which bits of ourselves are true and which bits of ourselves are false. Which are the bits that need discarding and what is it that needs to be put there in its place? But the truth is, the majority of us, the majority of people alive We'll go to our graves without really knowing who God has made us to be. We live someone else's life. We look at, let's say, Gerald and think, wow, he is so creative, he's so good at this, he's so good at that, I'm going to try to be like him. Or we might see Andy Hall that came last week and we might think, wow, he's really got something I'm going to try to live like that. Or it could be that our parents had a plan for us. They had an expectation of what we should be like or what we would be like. Certainly when we were young, um, uh, there was a limited number of careers that you could go into. You could be a dentist, a doctor, um, a lawyer, a banker, a teacher. But nobody, nobody I knew would ever be a film director or a photographer. Because then, parents didn't think like that. And if you were a good daughter or a good son, you went into what you thought or what your parents thought was a sensible career. And often, because we do this in big ways and in small ways, we actually lose who we are. So, you see children do it at school. You know, children in a certain clique or friendship group, they all wear the same trainers, but they all wear a jumper. I don't know, North Face, that's probably not very trendy, but, you know, they all wear the same thing. And in small ways, we conform to what the peer group dictates. I remember here, many, many, many years ago, uh, the gentleman that was the senior pastor, he bought a Volvo, a Volvo car. By the end of the year, every other senior leader, house group leader, whoever, there was like 10, 15 Volvo cars, everybody was driving a Volvo. Now, no one consciously said, I want to emulate the vicar, but we did it anyway. Well, actually, I didn't. I didn't have a car, but you know, those people—they did. And we do it often without realising it. We we give away ourselves to become what the group, or the business, or whoever. It's red masters now. Red masters now. <laughs> what can I say? Um, but when we do that, we do violence to ourselves, because I end up not being who I am, I end up perhaps being who you want me to be, or who Gerald wants me to be, or who my parents want me to be, or any number of other significant others in my life. And if I'm not me, then not only do I do violence to me, but I do violence to God, because he created me to be me, not someone else. And if I don't live me, not only do I do violence to me and to God, but also to you. Because I'm trying to be like you instead of bringing the different flavor that God has made me to bring into you. And so in the end, everyone is cheated. And I would just put it to you that often we really don't take any notice of what is inside of us. Um, We just carry on, on that treadmill, making decisions that are driven by the forces within us and without of us, without ever checking in, well, who am I, really? So, for example, do you ever ask yourself, why am I so anxious? Why? Am I always in a hurry? Am I living my life to be a gift to other people? Or am I living my life so that you will validate me and say, you're a good person, Lynn? Do I live my life to give to you? Or do I give to you because I want you to say, I want to get your vote of approval. I want you to like me. I want you to think I'm amazing, and then I'll feel amazing about myself. Why am I dreading a meeting? Why am I flooded with fear about a certain decision? Why do I find it so difficult to confront somebody who is being very difficult? Why am I afraid? And on the whole, we don't really pay any attention to what is going on inside of me. And so we never really become, genuinely, who we were meant to be. But I want to say to you, I want to put it to you, this is not how Jesus lived. Jesus lived as his own person. He lived faithful to his true self. But in doing so, he disappointed an awful lot of people. So he disappointed his family. His family wanted him to be a good Jewish boy, to carry on the family carpentry business and to honor the name of the family. But Jesus didn't do that. He disappointed them. And at one point, they all came to grab him because they'd really just had quite enough of that. Thank you very much. They were embarrassed by their, their brother. disappointed the people that he grew up with. So he declared to them, I am the Messiah. I am the one who you have been waiting for. And the crowd disliked him so much that they took him to the edge of the cliff and tried to throw him over. Can you imagine if you were you in such a way that all the people in your street tried to throw you over a cliff? I'd cave. I would be what they wanted me to be. But Jesus didn't. He also disappointed the twelve. They had in mind the type of Messiah that they wanted to be. But Jesus wouldn't be what they wanted him to be. So they have Peter, you know, Jesus says I'm going to, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified. Peter says not on my watch you're not Lord. That's not what I signed up for. I don't want you to be dead. I want us to ride into victory, into Jerusalem, and put everyone in their place. The disciples did not like what Jesus wanted to be. The crowds didn't like him. They wanted someone to fix their problems, provide food, sort the Romans out, and give them a nice life. That's what the crowds wanted. And time and again, when Jesus did not deliver the goods, they would just leave in their droves. So much so, one time he's feeding thousands and they all tootle off because he hasn't come up with what they want. And Jesus turns to his disciples. He's left with them, 12 people, having spoken to an audience of thousands. And he says to them, will you leave me too? And Peter makes that famous statement, well, who else would we go to, Lord, because you've got the words of eternal life. But Jesus has upset thousands of people that day. They've all left the meeting. Oh, this isn't what I signed up for. Oh, I don't think much of this fella. I'm not following him. Come on, let's go home and watch the football. Chana, chana, chana. And Jesus upset the religious leaders. They were upset for quite a different reason, because he upset their, their way of life, their control, their power, their prestige, their place with the people. They didn't like that one little bit. And so they put enormous pressure on him to crucify him, to have him killed, to have him thrown in prison. They are plotting constantly with the political authorities the Romans, to get Jesus at the very... But slung in jail, because they want him no more. But in all of these circumstances, Jesus was, with able to, was able to withstand the enormous pressure coming from without to conform to what they wanted for this reason... He was sure of who God was, but he was sure of who he was. He knew deep inside, this is who I am. I am the son of God. I have likes, I have dislikes. He didn't sin because he was sinless, but he was sure of who he was and he was sure of what he was called to do. And for that reason alone, he could withstand the pressure. Often what happens to us is that we are not sure of who we are, and so we drift with fashions, with the people we're with, with the circumstances. And so we are not always able to do what the Lord has called us to do. So another character in the Bible, King David. David was a shepherd boy. And he heard about the trouble that was going on down in, I can't remember where it was, Ben. Ben. Where did, where did, anyway, wherever Goliath was, where was that? somewhere in Israel he'd heard there was trouble with the Philistines and he heard that Goliath was marching up and down calling insults to the Israelites and David is just a shepherd boy but he is sure of who he is so David first of all tootles down to the army front and he takes sandwiches for his I think it's seven brothers he takes sandwiches for the seven brothers. And the brothers, now, I haven't got brothers and sisters, but David was the youngest. And all the other brothers are in the army. They're all big, strapping men. And I would imagine that when he went down to the front, they jeered at him because he was a puny little thing and young and he wasn't a soldier. So he has to withstand the jeering from his seven good-looking, powerful, senior brothers. But he says, I'm going to kill Goliath. I'm not having this. He withstands his brothers. Then all the people in the army. I've met a few soldiers. I don't know if we have any here, but, you know, they're not wusses. These people that have been to Afghanistan. and We used to have a colonel. I think he was a colonel. Hugging something. He was here. I can remember once giving him a hug. It was like hugging a tree trunk. He was solid, there was not a millimetre of flab, it, he was solid with muscle. And so I, I think of soldiers as being like that because they're so fit. And you know, um, David had to, had to withstand the jeering of the soldiers who would think he was a puny little twit. Why did he think he'd be any different? Then he has to withstand the jeering of Saul. You know, Saul says, oh, really, David, you know, I admire your courage, son, but we can't send you out against Goliath. Here, try on my armor. Well, can you imagine if, I don't know, we haven't really got any, do you know, if the queen said to you, Lynn, I'd like you to represent me, but, you know, please wear this dress or that dress or this hat or whatever. You know, you wouldn't like to say no. But I wouldn't like to say no to the Queen. Might not like to wear her dresses either. But, but David said to Saul, Saul, King, Lord, thanks, but no thanks. You know, he was able to withstand that pressure. And then, in the end, he was able to withstand the pressure of the jeering of Goliath, who was saying, "Oh, you little squirt! Is this the best that Israel can do? I'll eat you for lunch." And yet, because David knew who he was and knew who God was, David was able to stand and be himself completely, did warfare in the way that he could do it, with five stones. And because he was able to stand as who he is, the entire country was set free from oppression because a shepherd boy, an insignificant nobody, had taken time to learn who he was and to stand in the ordinariness of being a shepherd boy and the least and the smallest and the runt of the litter. Because he stood, because he knew who he was, he delivered a nation. Thank you. (laughs) So this is what I believe God wants to say to us this morning. Each of us, because each of us is clothed in royal robes. Each of us, not just one who's standing at the front or on the platform, each of us. And I believe that, you know, at the end of the day, an old rabbi said this Rabbi Sousa, if I've got that right why this at the end of my life god will not ask me why were you not moses at the end of his life he will ask you why were you not you why did you live someone else's version of your life and not the one I had carved out from you. And with all of my heart, I believe this is what God has called Gerald and I and, and everyone else to do here. It is not to build a church from the top down where there's an expert at the top who answers all the questions, does all the work, is all things to all men. That is not what God wants here in this place. What God wants is for whoever is in leadership to build a company of people Each and every one of us, clothed in royal robes, you're already clothed in royal robes, and released into being completely you. Knowing who you are, knowing what your calling is, knowing that there are 99 people cheering you on as we cheered on Tom and Jenny and Sheila, and for everyone to be living completely the life, the works, the being that you are created to be. There is not one person here outside of that calling, which is why I asked Linda to share that word. Because this morning, when she was telling me about it, she was saying over and over, Lin, Jesus had shown her that everyone in this building was hand-picked. Everyone. Whether you think you're great or not is totally irrelevant. You've been handpicked, And I think I've said before, Jesus is not bothered that there are not 500 people here. He's interested in working with us, in drawing us on. And that's what this year is about to be given a year, and maybe it'll be longer, but I can only see that far, to bring all of us into the fullness of what Jesus has for us. And to be honest, you ain't seen nothing yet. You are an amazing people, handpicked by the Lord himself. So, in a way, that's the first half of what I wanted to say and we're at 12 o'clock and I think probably everybody needs a cup of coffee so next week maybe we'll begin to unpick this to look inside of ourselves to give us some understanding of how to know ourselves so that we can bring adjustments so that God can bring adjustments but it's not I liked what Angela said God is not coming with a mighty telling off and saying oh you've got all this wrong or you've got all that wrong he's coming because he wants to release He wants to bring forth the seeds of himself that are already in you. He wants to release and fan into flame the giftings that are in you. And in a year's time, goodness knows where we will all be together. Amen. I'm so sorry. Do you know what? I can, I can bring this, but I can only work on myself. That's all I can do. But you must work on yourself. So I would say, you know, take the homework, go through it, go through it in your groups, get with your pals, and really bottom this out, thrash it out, so that we move forward, don't just hear a nice word. So help yourselves afterwards. Sorry.